Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. As always, the Greatest Games Podcast is a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. It can be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, a JV coach, whatever they want, just a game they consider to be their greatest game. Chris, we are venturing to the upstate of South Carolina today. We are bringing in Coach Andy Pitt, who just finished his ninth year at Chesney High School. Welcome on into the show, Coach Pitt. Uh, Thanks, Brian. Good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for those who don't know, Chesney High School is located in the sprawling metropolis of Chesney, South Carolina. That's right. (laughs) I had a friend that was from Big Pond, Pennsylvania, and you can imagine how small Big Pond, Pennsylvania was. And that's what he would always refer to it as, the sprawling metropolis of Big Pond, Pennsylvania. Well, I tell you, Chesney's got one of the great downtowns of, uh, I would think that just folks listening into this, if you think of a a movie scene, just a quaint downtown, uh, and just Chesney's got one of the greatest downtowns, in my opinion, and, and coaches, the downtown, has it stayed stayed pretty viable as, as, as time was going on? Yes, pretty much uh, the same all nine years I've been there, hadn't changed a whole lot, and you know, we got uh, your furniture store, your drug store, your your cable company, your bank, it's all right down there. Um, you know, for for anybody that's living in Chesney, it's pretty much is everything right down there that you need. I do. I, I make jokes, but I do love that classic Americana of the small town, that everything's in those couple blocks area, and that's where everybody goes. I love that. You know, it's very Norman Rockwell, 1950s America. Yes, it's a, it's a great place. I've enjoyed my my time there, for sure. As long as you can get a good milkshake too downtown. I mean, it, it, any good downtown's got a good milkshake shop, right? Is it, it's got to yes, be downtown. Yes, Chesney, right? well, for Chesney, you got the Bantam Chef. You know, you can get a sloppy cheeseburger and there you go. fries and get you a milkshake, and it's good stuff. So That's now good. I'm going to take a, a complete left turn here, Brian. One, Brian knows one of my favorite shows of all time is the show MASH. And the, the main character in MASH, Hawkeye Pierce, is from Crabapple Cove, Maine. Okay, and he's talking to a soldier that he's fixing up, and the soldier's from some town in Iowa. And he goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "And the he goes the Studebaker dealership downtown." And the guy and the guy goes, "Yeah, yeah." The stu- they always bring in the new Studebakers. And he goes, "And on the edge of town, you can get the greasiest French fries in the world." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And he says something else about like like the bank or whatever. And and the guy goes, "Oh, you've been through that town in Iowa?" He goes, "No, I grew up in the same small town in Maine." <laughs> it's such a great but it's such a great line that like you're like you said ryan there's a milkshake you can get in every one of those small yeah. towns there you go <laughs> i love it so coach uh why don't you run down for us your coaching resume and uh, all the things you've done in, in basketball and what's eventually led you to chesney south carolina for the last nine years um well i graduated from uh anderson college was now university in uh 2002 and played basketball there for uh doug novak and um had four good years there and right out of college i uh, actually sold insurance for about eight months and figured out that wasn't gonna be what i wanted to do um so i went home and worked for my dad for a year as his assistant in union and um 
after that year, he looked at me and said, you know, if you're going to learn some more stuff and uh, really grow as a coach, you need to get off and go somewhere else. So I uh, applied for a job at Burns and ended up coaching uh, JV basketball and varsity assistant there um, from 04 to 10. And then 2010, went to Chesney as an assistant and a year later uh, was head coach. So been there 10 years altogether, nine as the head coach. And it's been a uh, pretty fun place to be. And kids work hard. And just what you think, uh, Chris, you know, you were talking about any small town, you know, get a small town with kids that want to work hard. Um, You know, we've had some talented players. We've had some teams that hadn't been as talented. It kind of up and down years, um, but you know the kids are going to work hard and they're going to give you everything you got. So you can definitely appreciate it. That so that eight month period right out of college, selling insurance, sold insurance. Yep. That how long? Now this is we're all coaches here. Everybody's listening to the show. They're all coaches, and we love being around kids. We love coaching, whatever sport it is. How long? I obviously left after eight months, but was it quicker than eight months where you're like, nope? not doing this. I got to get back to the game. (laughs) It was, uh, I was doing well. Uh, you know, it was all cold calls too. There was no office to sit in. It was knocking on doors and, um, you know, that was tough for a kid out of college to be knocking on doors and trying to convince people to, uh, buy insurance from me. But, you know, I did pretty good at it. And I was at a training seminar, um, about six and a half, seven months in, where they take some of the guys that were, and ladies that were doing well and working with us in a certain part of the state. And I looked around the room and it just hit me like, this is not what I want to be doing. And so, you know, I, I worked about another month and then decided it was time to uh, quit running from it or get to it or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, basketball was calling and growing up uh, the son of a coach, you know, it was in my blood, so had to go do it. That's great. Um, Brian's never asked me this question, but I knew at about 10 years old that I didn't want to sell insurance <laughs> or, or, or any sort of, but no, any sort of, and I'm not demeaning the jobs because I know plenty of people in these, but any sort of office desk job I knew was something I never wanted to do. Not one bit. Was that ever going to be a life for me? Right. Um, so your dad was a coach. Did he coach you in high school? Was he he did. He did. Um, you know, I played varsity for him for three years. And, you know, we had some good teams at Union. And he's coached some really good players uh, when he was at Union. He's, I think he ended up coaching. He actually got back into it this year and was an assistant at Union. They had a really good team there this year. But, you know, he's done it for about 43, 44 years. And, you know, it, it was in his blood. And I think he's still kind of – doesn't know if he wants to come back and do one more year, but he, he enjoyed it. And he definitely gave me my passion for the game uh, for sure. So. Well, I'm going to cause controversy here in the pit household. What's something you do different than your dad? Because maybe not because you saw him do it this way, but something right. you said, Ooh, I'm going to do that a little differently. Um, I'm a lot like him. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's something I don't do. He always carried a towel. He had a yellow towel he carried on his shoulder and, you know, put the yellow jackets. Yes. Yeah. Union yellow jackets. And he had that towel. And if he was getting ready to say something to the referee, he had it and stuck it in his mouth. So he didn't say something, but I'm not really one to carry the towel. I'll have one every once in a while, but usually I'm 
turn around and toss it. And I'm moving a lot more. He's sat down a little more as a coach, and I'm up and moving. And, you know, I guess that's where we're a little bit different. But a lot of my traits I get from him definitely coaching. I'll tell you, he, he like you, exude coach. Like, you know, just just great, great guys, but great coaches. And you've coached some great ones. He's coached some great ones. So a little bit of a different angle with this question here. Who's the best player you've ever coached against? Against? Um, I'd probably say it was 2014. And we played in the Christmas tournament at Dorman and played Shaker Heights out of uh, near Cleveland, Ohio. And they had a guy that was about 6'9", Issa Ahmad, and he, here he is, 6'9", post guy, and we're running a boxing one on him. And, you know, we did pretty good, and I had a great player at the same time, uh, Deion Holmes, and Deion had a good first half, and we're out there, and we're boxing one on Issa, and he probably had six at the half. And it was a four-point game, and the next thing you know, we go into half, and we're adjusting some things, and he comes out, and he scored like 19 in the third quarter. And he just single-handedly put it away. Um, and then I didn't feel so bad the next year when I flip on the TV and he's starting for Bob Huggins at West Virginia as a freshman uh, at, the, at the three. So, you know, he, he was really, really good. Um, probably the best I've coached against. All right, you coach, you referenced Deion Holmes, and we, we do some research here before the show, and Brian uh, gave me some information about Deion. And Deion scored over 3,000 points in high school. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, yes. but who is the all-time leading scorer in South Carolina high school basketball? Sam Frederick. Incorrect. Right. Ivory Latta. Well, uh. you're talking women's <laughs> basketball there, but – She scored 4,400 damn points. Not, well, now, here's, here's, here's a story about her. This goes back to my playing days. She was probably a sixth grader because she had not started playing yet. Um, yeah, she played in like 03, 04 in high school. Yeah. Um, in the state finals. Yeah. And so I guess I was a senior in 98. And here she is as a fifth or sixth grader. And we're playing at York, last game of the regular season. And uh, we were really good that year and ended up beating York that night to win the region. But she comes up there before the game. And you never forget what Ivory Latta looks like. And here she is. She's probably waist high to all of us basketball players sitting at the top of the gym in York. And She's, oh, my cousin, please, and he's going to do this, this, and this, and they're going to beat y'all. And we're sitting like, who's this little girl coming up here? And it turns out it was Ivory Latta. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she was quite the player, no doubt. I To get off on a tangent again, the state final game, they were playing Dreer High School, who had uh, Teresa Jeter, who went on to play at Tennessee and then transferred back to South Carolina. And Dreer double-teamed her without the ball and then triple-teamed her when she got the ball. Never seen anything like it in my yes. life. Yes. She was a player, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember, uh, remember seeing her running around South Carolina. She was on a, on a, on a whole other level. <laughs> so, she was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Coach, you know, you've had, as you said, you've got some really good success in, over your years, and it kind of ebbs and flows at a, at a small school. Sometimes you have, have – better players sometimes you don't and that's just the way it goes at, at a small school but how would you truly define success for each team that, that you coach well you know I preach to my guys about getting better every day we're just we come to gym we want to lead the gym and we want to be better and we want to see that growth and I think ultimately I think 
you're going to be judged on the type of young men that you produce and as well as basketball players. But, you know, if we're producing good quality young men who uh, learn some things through basketball because basketball is going to teach them, especially, you know, you have years we've had at Chesney where you have a down year where you might lose a senior class and you have to rebuild it back up. And, you know, they're going to learn how to handle adversity in life. And, you know, that may be something that they take later on with them and continue to grow. So, you know, we're just constantly uh, preaching to our guys, just getting better every day. You want to be better when you left than when you walked in. And, you know, if you continue to do that, you know, success will take care of itself. I'm on mute here. I screwed up. All right. Good. This is, this is great. We are, we are really professionals here. Uh, sorry about that uh, dead air, folks. <laughs> Coach gave a great answer, and I was giving a great response, but now I'm just babbling. It looked um, great. It looked like a great No, I did. I, I was saying some good stuff. Uh, Coach, as you can tell, Brian's sort of the more serious guy. I'm definitely the more fun guy. So we're going to have some fun with this question. All right. Another, another uh, shot. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got to tell us a story about either a, a great technical foul you received or sometime when you lost your cool and snapped a whiteboard over your bald head. Something. Uh, some sort of crazy <sighs> Uh, honestly, I haven't gotten as many technicals being a varsity coach as I did when I was a JV coach. Oh, even um, better. JV technicals are even better. Oh, yeah. I, I got one. It was uh, when I was at Burns coaching JV. And, you know, we had a pretty good team that year in JV. You know, JV is all dependent on if the varsity is going to rate you or not. And, you know, that year we didn't get rated and we had some good players. And we're playing at Bowling Springs and they had a point guard. I forget the kid's name, but he was real bad about using his off arm to push off and officials standing right in front of me. And um, I asked him to call the push off. And he said, coach, you need to stop officiating. And I said, I'll stop when you start. And he turned around and got me and boom, that was it. That was, that's, that's probably been my best one. Um, and like, like, like I said, when I, when I was, varsity coach now i don't get as many there's too, seems like there's too much other stuff to worry about to to always uh get a technical but it was a little more when i was a little younger it was a little more free-flowing in that department for sure <laughs> i'll stop when you start that's a terrific one the best ones are the are the one-liners the sarcastic one liners right people get right. officials those are the best rather than just the yelling and screaming when you just right. when you when you get them with zinger you know right. <laughs> And he had to. I knew he had to get me after that. I mean, <laughs> but it was worth it. I'll say that. It's too good. All right, Coach. Well, you know the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games, and uh, we'd love to hear about the greatest game that you've ever been a part of. You can give us as much background information as you can and why it's so special to you. Um, you know, it. it I would say – we played at Union County um, where when I played in high school, that's where I played and they consolidated schools and I played at Union before it was Union County. But we go back and it was the first time that I'd taken my team as a head coach back to the gym that I played in and grew up in and all that. And so that game right there was probably one of the most special because now I'm standing on the same sideline that my dad stood on for. 23 odd years uh during his time there um and actually there was the second time we had played them that year we'd already played them once it was the second game of the year the first time we played them 
and they beat us 91-90 at our place. Um, and similar situation that happened in the second game, we had a chance to win it. We were actually up one. I had a sophomore post player throw it away that first game. And so they go down and score, and then we miss a shot at the end. Um, but here in uh, the second game at Union County, it's back and forth the whole way uh, and about 4.1 left on the clock. And it's just burned in my mind at 4.1. We had the ball side out on our side of the half court line. And, you know, I had Deion Holmes. And so what you're going to do, you're going to get the ball to your best player. And so we set it up where he was coming off a screen going toward the basket. And he kind of called it out beyond the three point line cutting in and Dion went and did what Dion does best and got to the rim finished and when he laid he laid it up and it left his hand you heard the horn go off and then it hits the glass and goes in and you know to win that game there at in that gym that was probably the happiest I've ever been right there um just going home and beating the home team that you had played for and watch your dad coach all those years and um, you know, I've played, I've probably coached in games that were just as exciting as that, but that's probably one that means the most to me. Was the feeling, because this is a definitely an interesting concept that we have not tackled, going back to your home school like that, was when you walked in the gym for the game or when you walked out of locker room for the start of the game, was the feeling different than you expected, what you expected? Well, you know, I, I listened to one of the uh, earlier podcasts where Brian was talking about the smell that you walk into a place and you smell it. Well, you know, walking back into that gym that I've been in so many times, that smell hits you and the smell never changes about that place. And that was one thing that kind of stood out to me um, was that, you know, you're looking around and you're seeing some people that in the stands that maybe you went to school with or some older people there that may have watched you play that were back just because they knew you were bringing your team in. And um, it was just, it was exciting. It was nerve wracking uh, for sure to be back in that place where, you know, your uh, my dad had coached and been on that sideline and to walk on that same sideline. That was one of the ultimate feelings. That's the thing I was thinking about walking into the gym, seeing people that you knew, or like you said, went to school with, like, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in that position. If I walk back to, I went to Wilson Hall and Sumter and I did get to, to coach in a scrimmage game when I was coaching girls there. And I just remember it was just really wild. Like I'm seeing, I'm seeing the coach that I played for and I'm seeing the principal of the school and I'm seeing all these people, but it's like, but Hey, I'm going to try to beat your girls here. Like we're going to try to win this right, game. Right. And it's just, it's, it's a strange. So can you, can you talk about that? Just kind of that strange, like, Oh, I'm back home, but wait, we're going to try to win this game. Oh, we just won this game at the buzzer. Like, right. Can, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, winning that game at the buzzer, um, not that you wanted to be like in their face, but you know what, before, and you know, I guess bragging pointed, on this, but before we had beat them there, and that was the first time since I had been at Chesney that we had gone back and played them. And Chesney had played Union before that, and you know, never. I think they came close maybe once to beating them because you know, here's Chesney two A school, and at the time Union was three uh, A, and um, I think maybe they were even uh, in the four A class when they first went to five A that first time, and you know, so smaller school coming back and 
I mean, the sense of pride after that game. And even since we've gone back, we didn't play, we hadn't played them for a couple of years now. Um, but we've gone back and won since then as well. Um, you know, a couple of times we went down there and won and probably really shouldn't have um, with the talent that we had, but we were able to, to get it done. But I always tell, every time we've gone down there, I've always told those guys, you know, this one means a lot to me because I played in this gym and there's people in here watching that, you know, there's a lot of pride associated with that. So, you know, that was always one that was really important to me to get as far as a regular season game would go. Well, that was uh, – you talk about walking on that same sideline that your dad did. Uh, that must have been an amazing feeling. I walked in the same buffet line as my dad once. Was... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I sit there and I can remember when he was coaching and, you know, he, he coached some really good players, talented players through the years. And, you know, even when I was third, fourth grade and I'm sitting on the stage – if you've never been in there, there's a stage right behind the gym and the stands are only on one side. And, you know, sitting on that stage all those years watching my dad's teams play and then me playing there. And, you know, I, my brother played for him after I did. And so going back and watching that, but always being around those guys, you know, there was there's a lot of sentimental value I have, you know, to that place. And, you know, I always pull for them. I hope they do well. Um, but, you know, there's – when you take your group back, there's – really nobody you'd rather beat than that place that you played for. Did, did your dad give you any advice, words of wisdom? Did you talk to him that week about what it would be like for you going back there? Um, not that I remember. Um, you know, he's, he's always given advice through, through the years. And, you know, he's always one of those first people I call after every game, win, lose, however it goes. You know, I'm talking to him and, you know, usually – um, talk to him after a lot of my practices too. So, um, nothing that sticks out in my mind leading into that game. Um, but you know, my parents came back and watched and, you know, my mom, ultimate coach is why she never sat in the stand. She always kind of sat over to the side, but I remember in that, at that game, I saw my parents up in the stands, which was kind of strange because, you know, my dad should be on the other sideline and my mom should be sitting over there in the corner in her chair like she always was. But, um, you know, that, that was a little different seeing them up in the stands, but, you know, it's going into it. That was, it was one we really wanted to have, especially they did this at our place. And, you know, I had a really good team that year with, and Dion really good player. Um, so, and I actually think Dion may have scored like 48 that night, um, which his senior year, he was, he would go for 40 a lot of nights. Um, scored, he scored 60 a couple times. Um, you know, he was, he could put the ball in the basket. Not until he left that I know what a 10-0 run against me felt like. Because, uh, you know, when you had him who could put it in, you, you never saw that. So, you know, that was something I had to get used to. Um, once he was gone, for sure. I call my dad after every game, and he sends me straight to voicemail. <laughs> uh, same. Maybe I'll call your dad. I don't know. <laughs> he'll talk to you. He'll, he loves to talk to you, so he'll talk to you for sure. 
I was going to ask you to, to talk a little bit more about Dion. I know you started there, but, you know, just over 3,000 points, as I referenced earlier, scoring 60 over over 60 a couple of times. Uh, but I tell you what, we, we have, we're fortunate to have you all at the Bojangles Bash several years ago. Just a great kid. Now, he can flat out play and score yes. at six foot two, if I'm not mistaken. Right, yes. Um, but uh, just a fantastic kid. So if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about Dion as a person and the player. Yeah, I mean, Dion, he's one of those guys, no matter who he meets, it's going to be yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Uh, great parents, uh, raised him the right way. And, you know, he was the epitome of what you want your best player to be because he was the hardest worker. When you went into the weight room, he was the hardest worker. When you were in the gym, he was the hardest worker. And most nights after practice, I had to run him out of the gym. Dion, I need to get home. It's been an hour and a half. The laundry's done we got to go. And, but you know, he's, he was tireless, tireless worker. Um, he even had a deal with the, uh, custodian during the season. He would come in and unlock the door at 6am and Dion would come in and get the gun out and get on it and just doing it by himself. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, that's, that's one thing that, you know, a lot of players probably need to realize how hard they need to work that he just didn't walk into practice and boom, there it is. He, put a lot of time into it and worked on it. And, you know, his shot was a little unconventional, but, you know, he could put that ball in the basket. He could. Uh, over 3,000 points. I think his senior year he averaged like 39.7 a game. Um, set the school record at Carolina one night with 61. Uh, went 27 for 28 from the free throw line that night, mm-hmm. uh, which was a state record. And then, you know, later in the year we're playing – um liberty and here's another story about Dion. the first time we played liberty we lost in overtime and he fouled out because he had picked up a quick foul and then got another quick foul before i could get him out he steals the ball goes down to court and goes up to dunk and the kid didn't really undercut him but was close enough by him that he just held on to the rim well he goes vertical I mean, horizontal to the ground, and he holds on, and then let's go an official calls a technical, gets him his third, and now he's sitting out, and it's early second quarter. And so he sits out the whole second quarter because I'm not going to let him pick up his fourth, and then he comes first possession of the third quarter, picks up number four. And so he sits out all the third, play uh, first few minutes of the fourth, and we're down, and they're shooting the lights out of it. And, he ended up – he played 19 minutes that night, and he had 45 points and 20 rebounds <laughs> in 19 minutes. Um, now, prefacing that, Liberty wanted to play up and down, and they – if they made more than two passes, coaches wanted to know why they held on to it too long. Um, so – but, you know, I think we ended up losing that game like 102 to 106 in overtime, um, which was an incredible pace that night. But later – fast forward later on that year – we played them at home and Dion wasn't in foul trouble and they wanted to play that pace. So we obliged and, you know, we were up pretty good. And I take Dion out and there's probably four and a half minutes left. And I'm joking around with him and I look at him and I say, you know, you're only a few points away from the school record. Cause I knew he had a lot, but I didn't know how many he had. And he said, come on coach, let me get back in. I said, Dion, I don't keep up with your points. I don't know how many you have. He goes, okay, okay. Sure enough, after the game, the uh, guy from the Herald Journal, Jed Blackwell, comes over. Well, he wasn't with the Herald Journal at the time, but now he is. But 
Jed comes over and tells me that Dion had 60. I said, you got to be kidding. He said, no. So I tell him that, I tell him that story and he just shook his head and said, I mean, because there's four, four and a half minutes left. I mean, mm-hmm. he could have had 70 easy, you know, who, who knows how many, but you know, he could put the ball in the basket. That was one thing for sure. Um, yeah. and, and, a, and a tireless worker, um, you know, and I still talk to him uh, often now. So, you know, he's a super great kid and, you know, wish nothing but the best for him. Yeah. Coach, if my team completes two passes on a possession, I'm excited. <laughs> I am. I'll tell you what, Brian, I'm going to the stat sheet again. He said, that, he said Dion made 27 of 28 in a single game, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at the stat sheet this year, my leading free throw shooter made 40 free throws on the season. Nice. Okay, he almost did that in a game. <laughs> he he had a knack for getting to the hole and drawing contact, and you know he. Coach, he, talk about coaching a kid like that. Um, two things: Did you ever have a tendency to to did it, you started over coaching him at some points and just be like, no, no, let, just let him go, like saying to yourself? And how did the other kids react to someone? who's such a singular talent like that? Like, was there any jealousy that you ever had to squash or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, his senior year, we had lost, I guess I had two all-region guys that we had lost the year before um, and a point guard that probably should have made all-region. I had four guys that were tremendous, and we had won the region the year before. And, you know, some people thought that we would drop off a little bit and just had Dion. You know, he's still going to carry you, but um, that team, when Dion was a sophomore and a junior, I had a kid that played quarterback that was an all-region basketball player and averaged 18 a game. And, you know, Dion at that time, I think, was averaging 24, 25 points a game and had another kid averaging 15. And we ran a motion offense, and, you know, the ball just found him a lot. Um, and it found him even more when he was a senior because it was like, all right, I'm going to pass it this time. But when it comes back, all right, boys, you all just get out of the way and I'm going to go. Or he, you know, other guys would take a shot. He was an extremely good rebounder. Um, you know, like that game that he had 45 and 20 rebounds in 19 minutes. He may shoot it and go get it. Or if somebody else shot it and missed it, he was going to get it. Um, you know, he had several dunks he caught off the rim that were just, you know, hammers uh, that year. And, you know, no real jealousy. Um, there, there were times that, you know, if it found some of those other guys on our better teams, you know, he was just as glad to get it to them and have them score because he knew. And the kid that I had, Darius Proctor, who was the quarterback, those other kids knew that if they could do a little something and pull off, pull some attention off of Dion, then it was going to open things up, and it did. So, you know, that's how we were able to be so successful. We had about a three-year run there that we – had really good teams and made some playoff runs. So it was definitely a good time. I want to make sure our listeners understand this too. This is not just a a 6'2 talented kid at 2A basketball in South Carolina scoring a bunch of points. He went on to score a bunch of points at USC Upstate Division One basketball, a season high of 35 points his senior year and 39 points his junior year. So he still <laughs> retained that ability to score at a high level, even at the Division One level. Right, right. I mean, I I know he had over 1,500 points. I'm wanting to say – I'd be scared to say for sure off the top of my head how many he ended up with. But, you know, he still put the ball in the hole when he got there. And, 
you know, I think one thing that kind of hampered him a little bit is he went and he played for Eddie Payne for a couple of years, and then Coach Payne retired, and then Kyle Perry had it for a year, and then Dave Dickerson comes in for a year, and he just got caught in between some coaching changes and never really had that continuity that just kind of, you know, I felt like he could have flourished if he had a little more continuity. And, you know, through no fault of Coach Payne or whoever, Coach Payne had some health issues that he had to get out, and things didn't work out for Coach Perry, and Coach Dickerson came in, and I think he's doing a pretty good job now, but you know, Dion just got caught in that situation where he never really had any continuity in college. But, you know, he still performed, like you said, Brian, at a pretty high level when he was there on Division One level, which, you know, speaks volumes because, you know, his work ethic was tremendous. So definitely a player, a player. Yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Kids get caught up in the coaching change, you know, it just maybe styles are different or the coach brings in somebody else and doesn't – I mean, I saw that when I was at South Carolina. I went through two coaching changes. And you see that kids and it's and it's not the coach's fault, it's not the kid's fault, it's just like circumstances, happen. right. Yeah, circumstances, exactly. It's not that the kid wasn't any good or anything like that. All right, coach. Uh it was great to hear about your game back at Union High School, Union County High School. But we'd like to end with a fun question here. When uh when your former players are sitting around, they're doing their coach pit impersonation. Every, <laughs> every player has an impersonation of their coach. If I go and ask kids that played for you at Burns and I ask kids that played for you this year at Chesney, what's the one thing they say that Coach Pitt always says? Ah, Coach Pitt always says this. I think uh, not so much in the game, but in practice. Um, I'm a big one more guy. You know, if that last possession just ain't not quite what you wanted, one more, let's do it again, one more, let's do it again. And, you know, there's some nights I had to – makes make myself uh, all right it's not going to be right and it's like beating a dead horse or whatever you want to say you it just comes to a point where you know it's not going to be but I'm a I've always been all right one more let's do it again let's do it again one more and see if we can get it right that's probably one of the biggest things there as far as practice is concerned um you know and I'll also especially now with these teams and you know, since I've been at Chesney, just try to emphasize talking. And I say talk. And I say compete a lot. And the, those are the things in the game. we got to talk. We're not talking on offense. We're not talking on defense. You know, communicate and that sort of thing. But that would probably be the couple of things that, you know, I'd hate to see those impressions because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm up and down the sidelines and, um, you know, coaches lose their minds. And they're, they're a different human being when they're on the sideline than any other spot. But um, it'd probably be funny to see some of those guys uh, do some impersonations for sure. Oh, well, I, you know, I, like I said, I know every kid that's played for me has an impersonation of me. There's no doubt. Maybe there's some way we can do some some Twitter promotions here. Cause you're you're a great follow on Twitter at at Pitt AB and at Chesney Hoops on, on Twitter. Maybe you know, maybe some of those kids in quarantine time can send in their uh, their coaches at, uh, <laughs> uh, impersonations, hashtag the greatest games, and, you know, there you go. go back and revisit it, and we'll play some of the fun ones. I don't know. I mean, I listen, I've only got a degree in marketing. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, there so. you go. There you go. Um, let's start marketing then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing over there, Brian? <laughs> Well, Coach Pitt, it's been it's been great to have you. I really appreciate your your flexibility coming on the show today with us. It's been it's been awesome to hear these stories. And again, uh, like I said earlier, Pitt AB and at Chesney Hoops. Anything else that you'd like to promote that you have going on uh, out there? You, you know, um, that's probably it. The Twitter accounts. Um, 
you know, and before we get off, I want to say thanks, Brian, um, with our Christmas tournament stuff. You, you were a big time help uh, with all that stuff. And um, I owe a lot to you, you know, sending you random text or phone calls, asking you questions about how you got that Bojangles bash started. And, you know, it, it was tremendous help for me uh, in getting our Christmas tournament started. And I appreciate all the help. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're welcome. It's, it's, uh, you know, for those that aren't, aren't familiar, it was the Lowe's round ball. Now the Chesney round ball uh, events, you do a great job up there. And I'll tell you what, social media wise, y'all do an unbelievable job and everybody that's ever played at that event has said great things about it. And, you know, you, you and I are very similar and Chris the same way too. We're just trying to, provide opportunities for kids that are fun and engaging and fans right. and and that's that's y'all been able to do that we've been able to do that with our event chris does that with with his events up in, in new jersey and so there's there's never uh there's never anything that i have to hide when it's up when it comes to event planning and and that's just yeah so yeah i appreciate you saying that it's always been fun to bounce ideas off of you yeah thanks thanks for all your help yeah so well, for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. Mm-hmm.